gentlemen, children of most ages, welcome to another Fuds on Film podcast. I am your genial host, Scott Morris, and I'm joined by my genial friend, Drew Tavendale. Greetings. And today, as promised, we are now going to focus on the Predator franchise after dealing with all those nasty aliens in the last one. Two franchises that are very much interlinked, of course, not just by the crossovers, but in terms of the visual effects houses and to a degree, fairly similar plots. So, certainly a lot to be going through. We've got five films to talk about just now. We've got Predator, Predator 2, the two Aliens vs Predator film, and the most recent Predators. Didn't realise until just now that there's actually going to be ones next year, in 2018. So, obviously we're not going to cover that because that's in the future and we're not psychic. But, of the ones that we actually can see, we're going to talk about them all. So I guess we shall dive straight in with 1987's Predator. In our last podcast, we said more or less that Aliens was the alien formula amplified and dropped into an action framework. To an extent, Predator is the alien formula taken largely as it was and dropped into an action framework. And if you're going to do that in the 80s, there's no better person to have in your corner than Arnold Schwarzenegger. Here he plays Major Alan Dutch Schaefer, leader of an elite search and rescue force called in to, well, search for and rescue a supposed government cabinet minister whose chopper was shot down in the jungles of the 80s favourite fictional conflict zone Valverde, or Guatemala if you believe what predators tell us, or in some instances Colombia, but Valverde for life bro. However, as we're being told this by a CIA agent, even if it is one of Dutch's old army buddies, George Dillon, played by Carl Weathers, it's probably best to take that with a grain of salt. So, into the jungle goes Dutch Schaefer and his team, Bill Duke's medic, Mac Elliott, Sonny Landham's tracker, Billy Soul, Jesse Ventura's gunner, Blaine Cooper, Richard Chavez's explosive expert, Poncho Ramirez, and radio operator Rick Hawkins, played for some reason by lethal weapon screenwriter Shane Black, in what was a, a puzzling bit of favour casting rather than anything that's remotely believable. But what they they start tracking from the crash site, soon coming across some disturbing scenes. Soldiers skinned and hung from the tall branches. Those horrible Valverdine rebels. Although, as we know from the occasional infrared viewpoint shot, it's something rather more potent rumbling in this jungle. The team eventually reaches the rebel base and clock their Russian advisors. Those horrible communist Valverdian rebels. However, a firefight with Dutch and co doesn't go all that well for the Reds, as the business end of Blaine's old painless minigun rather liquidates their holdings. Dutch is about to get very angry at Dylan for being double-crossed, but having witnessed the team's combat prowess, the alien predator, political affiliation unknown, sees how worthy a prey the lads are and starts talking and picking them off one by one. Probably you, Kit. Oh yes, he seems a type. The rest of the film details Dutch, his dwindling squad and captive, well, let's be honest, token woman Anna, uh, as they try to make it to an extraction point. Yes, that's right, they need to get to the chopper. And, of course, culminating in a mud-caked Arnold going mano a Zeno with the bemandable the menace. Uh, I was surprised to read that Predator received a mild to frosty critical reaction at the time, because I've always found it to be an incredible amount of fun, even after all this time and rewatches. I suppose the overarching point that is a bit weakly plotted has a degree of truthiness to it. The essential details could be reduced to one and a half sentences if you want to, but it's always been less about the narrative and about the atmosphere for me. <laughs> if Alien managed to build a sense of claustrophobia with the spaceship environs, Predator proves it's just as possible to feel the walls close in when there aren't any walls around. The jungle, while making for a nightmare shoot by all accounts, makes for a hugely effective setting, and Dutch & Co's gradual realisation that they're going from hunter to hunted makes for a terrifically tense slice of filmmaking. 
I've kind of skipped over what the Predator him, her, itself is, as I'm largely assuming you know what it is, but perhaps that's me normalising my experience too much. I suppose there's got to be someone who's not seen this. They are a race of aliens who treat some of the universe's most dangerous locations as a safari-esque proving ground, although none of that information comes from this film. And to be honest, not having the motivation screamed at us by Gary Busey is another reason to appreciate the minimalism of this film. I've never been quite able to square away the notion that these hunts are the various predators pitting their skills against the best warriors in the galaxy as some sort of noble rite of passage, as the playing field is just a little bit slanted. Not only does Predator have his unfeasibly sharp bladed weapons and infrared tracking ability, shoulder-mounted auto-tracking space blasters, <laughs> but he can also turn invisible through his optical camouflage, yes, so I, he's got a slight tech advantage. I never quite <laughs> got that, that this was supposed to be some sort of challenge or yes, a rite of passage or a proof of manhood, womanhood, predator, mm. alienhood. Yes. When it's so massively overmatched, he yeah, um, that never really made a great deal of sense to me. <laughs> yeah, there's basically no way you can lose um, if you're the predator. Don't yeah. it's the purposes, but I suppose I mean we'll talk about it more later. Of course, it makes a more sense that motivation with the alien versus predator crossover because those yeah. things are dangerous. Whereas yeah. just like wandering through. You know, a city on Earth, or jungle in this case, picking off a few random humans, it doesn't really seem like a great deal of challenge. No, it's very much playing on easy mode, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's just the Predators want to check their privilege. The other thing with Predator, I suppose I thought I would need to be making apologies for the exceedingly macho attitudes on display, and I wouldn't want to minimise that, but it was much worse in my memory than the actuality of this film, with the exception of one throwaway homophobic line at the start in Hawkins' line of quote-unquote jokes. There's not really much here to apologise for, and the bulk of that is done in the first 10 minutes. And here's the thing, all of this macho man posturing and swaggering is kinda necessary, if just to show the contrast as they free and break under the tension of the ordeal this alien bastard's putting them through. So, yeah, it has its function. Yeah, because this title flick is manly, manly, manly men, and then you get like Bill Duke absolutely losing it later on. So, yeah, yeah. There, there is some point to having that sort of super macho posturing at the start. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, obviously, too... I a, grew up on films like this, and B, I'm a white man, so all of those things can make <laughs> a big difference, but it never, not in this most recent rewatch a couple of weeks ago, and, but never really did that strike me as particularly bad or particularly egregious compared, especially when there are so many other films that do those things much, much more toxically yeah. and um, just blatantly to... Yeah, um, I guess there's a lot more to be said about Predator, but the basic point I'm trying to get across is that I think it's a very tense, well-executed film. It's a strong concept, some great casting and compelling performances that makes this not just a great genre film, but a great film full stop. Highly recommended in the unlikely event that you've not seen it already. Yeah, I, I love Predator. I think it's just a fantastic action film. Also one yeah. of the best ever made. It's um, That's in no small part due to the fact that it's directed by John McTiernan, I think, who yes. um, just the next year did the best action film there's ever been. So uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> having such a competent director helps. It's also the film, really, that launched Arnold Schwarzenegger into the mainstream, I think. I mean, he'd been building up before then. He'd been in the Conan films and things, and yeah. then the Terminator. But Terminator was still a relatively small film. Yeah. Then he gets to... I mean, he's actually he's in a lot of films back then, but then you get to Commando just after that. Yeah. Um, but then it's then you hit Predator, and that's, that's where Arnie, as we know him, really begins, I reckon. And, I mean, I, I think... It's not the most direct, because I think The Rock is actually a better actor, but... Arnie always struck me like people like The Rock and stuff, they're not necessarily the best actors, but they do have this like charisma that goes an awful long way. Yeah. And I also found Arnie and he's 
um, late 80s, early 90s pop is incredibly watchable all the time. So yes, he's not going to win any Oscars for his acting ability, but there are plenty of people who do that sort of role. People who might be called Steven Seagal, for instance, Hmm. who have no (laughs) charisma whatsoever, and they are just there because they have some sort of physical skill, whereas Arnie had physical presence, but also kind of charisma that makes you root for his character almost all the time. You don't need acting ability when your bicep's bigger than most people's heads. (laughs) No, no, I don't suppose you do. And then all the characters in that, apart from Arnie, there's not much great going on in the way of acting. Bill Duke is probably the only other person that's really got any acting chops in there because Jesse Ventura is Jesse Ventura. Yes, yeah, but I mean, enter- the good thing about Jesse Ventura is that he's Jesse yeah, Ventura, he's, so that kind of works. He, he's entertaining because he's Jesse Ventura. Uh, Don't try and shoot me, a governor! A governor? <laughs> yeah, um, is this the same year as The Running Man? Yeah, the, this year, the year before, it was Running oh, Man, I think. But there, there about another um, yeah. Arnold and Jesse Ventura pairing that seemed to work really well. <laughs> but yeah, so there's, it's just this great action film. It's fairly simple. But it doesn't need to be anymore, and it, as you say, Scott, it does manage to achieve quite well, creating the same sort of claustrophobic atmosphere that Alien managed in a massively expansive jungle, which yeah. is quite a trick, actually. Yeah, it's just you did say like the the shoot in the jungle was shot in um, near Palenque in Mexico. It was quite difficult, and also, and turned out that it affected in some way the creature design because it's the original design for. The alien was to have it have like a backwards leg, like a goat leg, that sort of thing. But they realised that that was actually impossible to do in the jungle. <laughs> so that was good. A backward be. goat leg. Yes. Was, was this the one that Jean Claude Van Damme was supposed to do? Where no, they break was, his knees or was, something? Is that? It was post Jean Claude Van Damme. It was going to be Kevin Peter Hall, so the the seven foot two guy that does play the predator. Yeah. But that was the idea. It was like meant to be like a foot long extension on the legs that would make it look like the like he was on stilts. Yeah, like <laughs> the knees went backwards instead of forwards, which would have been a kind of interesting look, I think. But you just know that it would just look like a man in a rubber suit <laughs> hobbling about. That's it was. <laughs> so, um, but yes, and you did mention Cotton Van. That was just what I was going to come to too. Again, and it's kind of interesting that where the Predator eventual final Predator design was actually not prompted, but perhaps dictated by the cast because they as I think people know this but originally and there was a lot of reshoots done later they originally were going to have the alien be much smaller and it was originally played by Jean-Claude Van Damme but they basically decided that Jean-Claude Van Damme was basically far too titchy given how huge Jesse Ventura and Arnold Schwarzenegger were so that's why they got somebody with seven foot two instead <laughs> but don't you pine for the version of the predator where the predator jumps and does that spinning heel kick <laughs> thing that he does in every single film because I'm sure he would have managed to get it in there oh I'm sure he would have done it it's, it's very very JCVD right <laughs> it would have been quite frankly dishonourable for him not to put that in there very interesting just a general sort of film production thing to think that in this case, the the actual design of important elements in the film were influenced by both the location and the cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not much to add to what you said, though. I think Predators are really... Yes, it's simplistic, and it doesn't... I mean, you could probably read some themes into it. I don't really think they're there in Predator. I think it's such a fairly straightforward film that completely belies its budget because it didn't cost all that much money, and I think it still looks great. Yeah, um, yeah. If you can avoid the versions of a Blu-ray that have make everybody look like wax dolls, but that's not the film's fault, that's Fox's. <laughs> it looks considerably better than its budget. It's really entertaining, still stands up. 
I think the effects work still stands up pretty well, actually. It really does. That's what struck me when I was watching it again. Okay, we all know what IR looks like these days. You can buy an, an eBay IR sensor for if you could, and it will, it will do this sort of the kind of thing. But I, I'm not entirely sure I'd seen an awful lot of sort of infrared effects or anything like that. Yeah, the thermal image and stuff, yeah. yeah. And so that looked really cool and really kind of alien, which is obviously the point. And between that and the, I mean, the way they've done the, um, the optical camouflage, camouflage yeah, that's and all that the stuff, thing it doesn't really... look bad either. No, um, it looks considerably worse than the next film, which is quite a trick, but mm. it's, because it's not, not just like they're like pointing a camera at an area of the trees where somebody isn't and su- making you think, suggesting yeah. there's something there that you just can't see. It's like, no, they're back, they have like sort of, like a smeared outline, it's like you can see the light bending, and it's quite subtle in some places, and it's so well done, and yeah. it really stands up well. I don't think you could do that a great deal better now. No, and I've always actually wondered how they did that because I'm not. That's presumably optical rather than digital. I would um, think so, but yes, I don't. I would like to know how they did that because it's a it's a really good effect. Um, yes, and yeah, so that stands up really well, and then the actual Dan Winston's creature design, you know, his work in Terminator looked particularly good as well. And he was, mm-hmm. um, I think he was recommended to the director for this by Arnold Schwarzenegger after his, after working with him in the Terminator. But just like the, there are some problems with it being a man in a big rubber suit. And it's actually been in there in every single installment in the series, particularly the fingers, because it look, always looks so awkward and they're pressing buttons because it's clearly somebody wearing big rubber gloves trying to press the thing when the the actual glove itself extends about two <laughs> inches past the tip of their finger. Yeah, the touch targets are all wrong. Yeah, like, it, <laughs> it looks so awkward. It breaks so many iOS guidelines, it's terrible. Yeah, but that, if you like, sort of set that aside, the rest yeah, of that the... face, man. Yeah, exactly, it's the face. Um, That's a completely practical effect, and the, I generally don't think you could improve on that. No. There's so many film creatures that now look really shoddy and clearly not real. It's like, that, convincing as if it were to use, because obviously we know it's not a real thing, but... It looks like a real thing to me. The way yeah. it moves, the the detail that's in it, it feels like a living thing. Mm-hmm. And I think even if you had a, a fully CGI version of that, I don't think you could make it look any better. I don't think you could add any extra <laughs> nuance to it or anything to it that's not there in the practical effect created in 1987. Yeah. It really, really works well. And again, that's on a budget of $15 million. Yes, it's is- mid-90s, but that's not a lot of money. No, not at all. And uh, yeah, it... That, the face just weirds me out. It's not even so much the mandibles, weird as they are, but it's those beady wee recessed eyes. Yeah. Ugh, ugh. I mean, there's something, even just like, I mean, I don't know if it was mentally creepy, but there's something like the, there's like, there were really coarse hairs in it, and it just yeah. looks so yucky. They almost look like stitches. Um, it's that, <laughs> like, if you've seen stitches in human skin, it's that sort of coarseness, and it just, oh, it just looks so unpleasant, and the whole thing together just, it's a really... Quite a visceral reaction you get from looking at it. It's just really good design, and it's a good design and b good quality work. And it's you know thirty years later, I I don't see how you could make that look any better than it did did then. Yeah, and um, I guess one thing we'll say that didn't really hit earlier. Like none of Dutch's team get more than what three lines each, maybe. But even though they're not incredibly deeply drawn characters, they do all feel like nice, distinct characters. Mm-hmm. I did actually, you do find yourself caring about them, not quite so much as you could do in, say, the, the lead characters in Aliens. Yeah, so I was say that's not far off it. Aliens is a reasonable comparison. They, they do that thing, yes, they're not quite so skillfully sketched as they are in Aliens, but there's something about that too, yes. They're maybe a bit flatter than they are in Aliens, but they do have personalities. They are, yeah. they are distinct people, and you get enough information about them to. If not care about all of them, because some of them are kind of disposable, but at least 
notice which one's which when they get killed. <laughs> yes. They're not just, you're not just signing numbers to them. Whereas yeah. in a lot of films, again, later in the franchise too, where it's like, yeah, I, I have no idea which one of these is which, and I kind of don't care, so I'll just call them victim number one, <laughs> victim number two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I've said all. We need to say pretty much enjoy the film to this day, coming up for if it's not already. 30 years yeah, old and 30 still years this very, year. very good. If you've not seen it, to do so. And I uh, guess we'll just crash straight on to Predator 2. Yes. Strange things Predator and Predator 2. One, a $35 million production. One, a much simpler survival horror B-movie with a budget of only $50 million. One film with a cast of former sports stars and bodybuilders. The other with a star of a multiple Oscar-nominated film and a hugely successful action franchise. One directed by someone mostly known for TV the other directed by one of the greatest action directors of the time. One a classic, the other an ugly and disposable cash-in. And none of those things match up um, to their titles in the way that really seems sensible. 1990's Predator 2 is set in a Los Angeles of 1997 that seems to have come straight from Robocop, with open warfare in the streets between gangs of Colombian and Jamaican drug dealers and an overwhelmed LAPD, all in the middle of an intense heatwave. At the conclusion of a firefight, Mike Harrigan, Danny Glover and his colleagues follow several gang members to a barricaded building where they discover them dead, hanging from seemingly impossible heights and with no trace whatsoever of their murderer. Harrigan would quite naturally like to know what the hell is going on, but his investigation is impeded by Gary Busey's federal agent Keys, allegedly in charge of the task force investigating the drug dealers, who orders him to stare to the investigation. After more drug dealers are killed and skinned, one of Harrigan's colleagues is murdered while investigating the crime scene, and he begins to investigate Keyes and his team, and is eventually let in on the knowledge that an alien is stalking and killing an LA, and Keyes intends to capture the alien so that the military can use its technology. And really, that's about all I'm going to tell you about the plot. After that, it's they're trying to catch an alien, and it ends up with, in a way reminiscent of Predator, one man against the Predator. There we go. It's not particularly original in the rest of the plot. Now, Arnold Schwarzenegger couldn't agree on a fee to return, nor could John McTiernan, though here Danny Glover is directed by future Lost in Space director Stephen Hopkins, and he's out of his depth. Now, Danny Glover is not the greatest actor in the world by any means, but pair him with a competent director, Richard Donner in the Lethal Weapon series, Spielberg in The Colour Purple, and you can get a pretty decent performance out of him. Sadly, in Predator 2, he spends most of the time looking like a lost wee boy. He keeps hoping his mum will turn up soon tell him what to do. No, really, look at him, in almost every scene he has the same half-scared, half-bewildered expression on his face. As a result, I find it hard to buy him as the action hero here. And that's a genuine pity, because the hero being a slightly overweight, middle-aged guy, rather than the uber-buff, highly trained special forces soldier of Predator, is a nice distinction. Despite having more than twice the budget of Predator, Predator 2 looks so cheap. Like, direct-to-video sequel cheap. I don't know where they spent the money, but it certainly wasn't in Gary Busey's wardrobe, because Gary Busey does a nifty line in suits at least two sizes too big for him. <laughs> Nor was it spent on water sprayers, because while Danny Glover looks perpetually doused in sweat, the majority of those in scenes with him are pretty dry. A kind of glaring thing. Some money was clearly spent on the attempted capture of the creature in the warehouse, and it's quite inventive, with the use of the Predator's different vision modes, the way the silhouettes and lights do and don't appear on the screen. But then Gary Busey turns up dressed in two sizes too big tinfoil, <laughs> takes a firm hold of the scenery between his teeth, and all of the tension evaporates. The Predator itself, played again by Kevin Peter Hall, still looks the business at least. It was 
slightly redesigned to look a bit meaner and toothier. In Stan Winston's words, broad concepts the same, the difference is this is a different individual, but it's much the same creature that Dutch fought in the jungle, and it is still ugly and creepy, and damned effective design work. Awkward fingers aside. Really, it wouldn't have been the same with the diminutive JCVD variant. (laughs) There was some controversy at the time of Predator 2's release that the creature design was racist and had been urbanised. Oh, how I hate that word. To subliminally suggest the threat and menace of black men. Now, that is... Oh yeah, because that's the racist thing in Predator 2. Yeah, uh uh-huh. And not King Willie saying there's no stopping, what can be stopped, no killing, what What can can be killed. Yes, yes, it's the creature design that's racist. (laughs) Sure. Now, that suggestion of the racist creature design is either arrant nonsense or I am immune to that suggestion. But it's certainly something worth thinking about, given that this film was made in a tense city just two years before the LA riots. But for me, it's just a space beastie, and I'm happy for it to remain. Space beastie. In space beastie versus better. <laughs> versus aliens. Coming to a cinema near you. I like the sound of that so much better. <laughs> space beastie. I assume the voice of space beastie is just like, alright, I'm the space. I'm going to stab you now. Yeah. I don't know if it should be more like the big man from Chewing the Fat. Like, <laughs> Alright, I'm a space beast day. Or it should be maybe more Ned like, but. Oh man, that would be like space beasties we psychic. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's also racist. <laughs> it's, it's very Nedist. Yes. <laughs> Sadly, though, the Predator just isn't interesting in the way that it was in the jungle. In the original film, the thing felt properly alien mysterious, unknown, otherworldly. Whereas flung into LA, it is far less potent and it feels just like another threat in this vulgar and grimy city. It has lost its power as the focus has shifted to the humans instead. The appeal of the Predator ship does intrigue me a little. I'd like to have seen more of that, you know, being shown a few more hints of the Predator culture, which may exist in other media but is virtually invisible in any of the films. But it's over very quickly, and even in that short space of time, my mind is diverted to questions of why the aliens turn their camouflage back on inside their own spaceship, why the film overuses the Predator's speech recording and playback, and why, when they went to the bother of hiding themselves and their spaceship in the city, that when they leave, they burn an enormous and entirely unstealthy bloody great trench in the ground. (laughs) Unlike the Alien franchise, which saw a fairly gradual downward trajectory, The quality of the Predator series dropped precipitously between just its first two installments, and Predator 2 is, sad to say, both bad and really boring. Uh, Do you know what happens to Predator when he gets struck by lightning? Nothing. Not a thing. (laughs) Struck it off like a boss. Just makes for a nice cool outline, that's all. (laughs) I've got a confession to make and you're not going to like it. The audience isn't going to like it, my psychiatrist isn't going to like it. I mean, I think it's important to state that Predator 2 is not at all good. But I really, really like it. There's, I'm not going to defend it in any great <laughs> sense, but it's a film I've always just liked. We were talking a while back about trying to do a sort of guilty pleasure sort of thing, and I've, I've only got two contenders I could think of. One's Dune, and the other one's Predator 2. I, I recognise its failings, but damn it, I just like it. <laughs> uh, I like Danny Glover's slightly confused act. I like the fact that He's a protagonist that's not ashamed to talk to himself just to provide a bit of exposition on their current plans. And I think that's a good thing. I, I like Gary Busey's scenery chewing in his ridiculous tinfoil suits. I like Morton Downey Jr.'s over-the-top, silly, journalistic, shouting 
thing that he does. Oh, like I know. Elvin I, Lockhart's King Willie. King Willie um, is ridiculous. I like the the reporter though. It's I don't know. It feels like it was trying to be like something from Robocop. It's a bit Starship Troopers, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, so it, it's like it mixed <laughs> the news reports from Robocop with the Bixby Snyder character <laughs> and created a new <laughs> journalist, which was Bixby journalist. <laughs> I kept expecting them to say, um, like, I'd buy that for a dollar at the end of his news report. That was not working for me. What's always struck me about this film is how bad must things have seemed in 1990s Los Angeles for someone to write this script where seven years in the future, it's a failed state war zone. And everyone goes, yeah, that, that, that seems about right. That looks like what will be happening in seven years. Seems entirely cromulent. It's totally legit. I can't really give you a lot of explanations as to why I like it, because there's not. It just strikes a chord with me for being slightly over-the-top daft. I think it is a nice idea to kind of transplant it to the the, the urban jungle, if you will, or this, uh, the cityscape. I mean, you're right, it probably doesn't work. It doesn't really take much advantage of that. A lot of it's just him running around the rooftops and then running around in a slaughterhouse, which, uh, yeah, doesn't seem like it's the, the most thrilling use of the setting. But it just feels... Like it suffers from a complete lack of failure of imagination. For me, it's, it just doesn't seem to do anything particularly interesting. With the, there's so many things that you could have done differently with it being surrounded by people and in this big city. And I don't know, it seems to almost like put the, the alien parts to the side for a while and just focus on the humans instead. And I don't know, it doesn't really work for me. Yeah, the whole sort of three-way you know, gang war that's going on or whatever it is with uh, the, the Jamaicans and the Colombians and the, you know, the police being caught in the middle of all that stuff. It, it, I'm not sure if that if there needs to be a lot more of that or a lot less of it if they wanted to make it sort of successful. I'm not sure if you'd want to really be pushing that as to giving the Predator some better rationale for why he's here. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the time it just seems like he's running around stalking low-level goons and higher-ups that aren't actually defended by anyone at the time. You know, um, he's been, again... Not really testing his metal against the best of us by uh, creeping around and sneaking up on people while they're effectively just got their pants down. Yeah, it's a, it's a strange film on a number of reasons. Like I say, the, the first one is so much better despite costing so much less. And it's strange to see the way that that kind of went. But I still find something to enjoy in Predator 2. God save me. Um, but yes, it, it's daft. I can't really come up with a good rationale for recommending it to anyone. Um, but I still really, really like it. So, yeah. When I watched it last week or the week before, it was pretty much like watching it for the first time to me because I'm 90% certain I've seen it before because I remembered enough bits. And so <laughs> yeah. like, while I was not 100% sure, when Danny Glover arrives in the spaceship at the end, I'm thinking, this is really familiar. But then I'm thinking, I may have seen it in a video game. Right? <laughs> so so I'm, I'm still not absolutely sure that I had seen it before. I know I'd seen bits of it and I knew things about it, but I think... A lot of the familiarity was just the fact that some of those clips, like the they indicated that when Corner the um, creature activated a self-destruct mechanism that destroyed enough rainforest to cover three hundred city blocks, mm. that and the there's no gilling what can't be gilled, that sort of stuff <laughs> is. Um, those samples are used on Ice Cube's Predator album, which I've listened to <laughs> about ten thousand times. So they kind of lodged in my head from that. So now, did I actually see the film before this point? <laughs> <laughs> I definitely had seen bits of it and I'm pretty sad I've seen the full thing I could well have seen this bit I think at the end in a video game because I'm sure that that same design with the orange walls and stuff mm. is in at least one of the Alien vs Predator games and I'm not sure I've seen it so effectively when I saw it last week or the week before preparing for this podcast it was like the first time and I was just 
genuinely so disappointed because I knew it was kind of cheesy compared to the first one. Um, mm. Kind of schlocky, but I thought, okay, it's it's this cult classic. It's going to be quite entertaining. And, and I was just bored. Generally, that was my main emotion during that was boredom. And I'm like, why is this so boring? I mean, I can't, I can't quite put my finger on exactly what it is about it. I was like, express some of the, the issues I have with it. But it's this big, silly space monster with these big crab face killing people in some quite kind of gory ways. There should at least be some sort of fun to that. And there, to me, there just isn't. If you can enjoy it in that way, great. Um, more power to you. But for me, it's just, it's really dull. It's the difference between the quality of the first and second film is, is huge. Well, I'm not denying that in the slightest, but uh, I'm not going to deny your lived experiences. But um, yeah, this is a tremendous amount of fun for me. I don't know how anyone could be bored given the amount of people that get chopped up into bits in this film. Yeah, it's it's very stupid, but I like it. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much of that's nostalgia, because I, I mean, I've definitely seen this. I've seen this almost as much as I've seen the first film. And any time I notice it on television listings, it's always a good excuse to watch at least part of it when it's uh, shown on 2 o'clock on ITV3 or whatever. But I, I just like it. Um, I think it is... It's not so bad it's good or anything like that. I don't think that's a, that's a justification for it at all. I just think that it's so strange and over the top that it works on some level, if not any conventional level that I can really come up with much of a convincing explanation for. But yeah, I like it. So there. I, I would like something to have kind of grabbed me there, but I just, because even Bill Paxton in this, I was like, it's, this is definitely not Bill Paxton's best work. And I just wanted something to grab me, but then I kept finding that there were bits that were niggling. It was like, why, why is Gary Busey's suit so big? Why, why does he have shoulder pads from Dynasty? What is going on? It was the style at the time. Very possibly. Yeah, uh, sad to say that, yeah, this film does almost nothing for it. I don't think it's something I'll ever watch again. Boo! Hiss! Boo! <laughs> Talking of things that possibly wouldn't have had much need to watch ever again, Scott, uh, Aliens vs Predator. Or, sorry, Alien vs Predator. Yes. Slightly, <laughs> with its also unnecessary full name of AVP. Alien vs Predator because there was an annoying trend for films that including the likes of AI artificial intelligence that would have both the abbreviation and the thing that it was an abbreviation for in the title. <laughs> yes, not really getting the hang of these colons are they? No. Cinematically, at least once space year 2004 rolled round, the Predator franchise was very, very dead. And after several reported false starts, the Alien franchise was dead too, or at least doing a pretty good impersonation of it. Um, I know James Cameron had been talking for a while about trying to do something, but James Cameron talks about an awful lot of things I don't think anyone was really taking them particularly seriously. So, uh, at least one of the reasons for the wailing and gnashing of teeth from film fans about the announcement of this mashup always felt a little hollow to me. If there's no realistic hope of a real entry in either series, why not take what you can get with the leftovers? And secondly, I'm not a super fan of either franchise, much as I like them, but even I know about the extended universe Aliens vs Predator stuff, either as novels, comics, or most relevantly video games, and the latter at least provided some proof of concept that this could provide some degree of schlock fun, if not something that was ever going to get a lot of Oscar buzz. Yeah, Aliens vs Predators managed to find a way to justify the Atari Jaguar. That's how potent the the combination (laughs) is, Scott. Yes. I don't think I'd say I was ever looking forward to Alien vs Predator, but at the very least I didn't discount it out of hand. At least not until the magic words Paul W.S. Anderson were uttered. <laughs> um, but, yeah, getting ahead of myself. Alien vs Predator sees a Wayland Corporation satellite spotting a mysterious heat bloom in Antarctica, with initial scans finding something even more mysterious. There seems to be an exceptionally odd pyramid buried far underneath the ice, so Charles Bishop Wayland, Lance Henriksen, rounds up a crew of what we'll call experts to investigate this. 
Amongst the security personnel and drilling crew are Whelan's major domo, Maxwell Stafford, played by Colin Salmon, the early 2000s Idris Elba, and the experienced, no-nonsense guide, Alexa Woods. I like Idris Elba. I don't know why we've become a punching bag in this podcast, but whatever. <laughs> I'll play along with it just for giggles. Unfortunately, 66.66% of us don't like him, Scott. So. <laughs> also experienced, no-nonsense guide, Alexa Woods, played by Sarah Lathan. Uh, archaeologist, Sebastian De Rosa, Raul Bova. And chemical engineer, yay, Graham Miller, uh, Ewan Bremner. There are many other people, but I wouldn't want to name them. No point getting attached to them. Uh, they're not the only one interested in the pyramid, as an orbiting Predator spaceship blasts a space laser down through the ice just before Team Whalen show up, giving them a helpful clear run down to the pyramid. Not ones to look a gift mineshaft in whatever the mineshaft analogue of a mouth is, they batter on down and start poking around, piecing together enough of the mishmash of Mayan, Aztec, Egyptian and Belgian hieroglyphics to give us a sudden exposition dump. And this is some prime Thon Danikin chariots of the gods ancient aliens garbage, with the predators apparently having convinced the, each of the aforementioned civilizations to treat them as gods, including building pyramids, housing an alien queen to serve as a challenge to the young predator warriors as a rite of passage, like a xenomorph infested crystal maze, or Krypton Factor, or Fort Boyard, or Wipeout, select reference as appropriate to your age group. Fort Boyard, Craig is gone. It's more popular elsewhere. Fun fact, Fort Boyard was going to be done by Channel 4 in place of the Crystal Maze, but the set was getting redesigned, and that's why they had to come up with the Crystal Maze design in, like, two days or something like that. So, yeah. That may qualify as a fact, but I definitely take issue with fun. <laughs> uh, anyway, of course, you can't hunt xenomorphs without xenomorphs, hence the human sacrifice aspect of the cultures, but it's death via facehugger and burst chest, not a police blade that is the order of the day in these triangular funhouses. Having figured all of this out, our gang now realise that the human sacrifice this time is, well, them. The urgency of which stops them from asking why this pyramid in particular has a combination of these different architectural styles, and none of the other pyramids we've found are, but this is one of the many things that it's best not to worry about too much in Aliens vs Predator. Very soon we've got Xenos aplenty, and three Predators show up to test their metal against them, with the surviving human interlopers really just trying to beat feet out of there as best as they can, hindered by a shifting, reconfiguring structure that divides them, allowing the Xenomorphs to conquer. Not that the Predators get things all their own way either, once all is said and done, leaving one Predator survivor and Alexa to desperately battle the alien queen, who has escaped her oddly low-tech shackles and reached the surface, which could be bad news for us humans. Now, I have a confession to make, and you're not going to like it. The audience isn't going to like it, my psychiatrist is not going to like it. Uh, while it's very important to state that Aliens vs Predator is not at all good, uh, this time round I kind of enjoyed it, certainly more than my review a decade plus ago would have had myself believing, although I think most of that is based around the proximity to re-watching the Poe-Face Prometheus and Covenant <laughs> films. Yes, it does kind of um, throw things in another relief, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is just pure stupid schlock action, and with your expectations calibrated accordingly, I think it is possible to find some joy in this. It's normally at this point I would back that opinion up with something resembling facts or reasoning, although in this instance, again, I'm not entirely sure that I can. I really like the pyramid setting, and the whole reconfiguring gimmick I think works pretty well. Most of the cast, and certainly the featured cast, do pretty well. Particularly Sanna Lathan, who's no Ripley, to be sure, but she's much more likable than Catherine Watterson in uh, Alien Covenant. Oh, she has any character traits at all, Scott, which sets her apart from Captain Watterson <laughs> and Alien Covenant entirely. Yeah. And a special shout out to one of the few instances of a chemical engineer, God's Chosen Ones, in a film, <laughs> although like all other films with chemical engineers in it, it has no idea what a chemical engineer does. I can hardly blame them, I studied it for four years and I've worked as one since the dawn of this millennium, and I would struggle to put together a job description in a neat sentence. So, <laughs> can't really blame W.S. Anderson for that. 
the action sequences I find serviceable, perhaps more for the concept than the execution. The whole dream match thing is undeniably something us nerds wanted to see, although had any of us stopped to properly think about it, it's not something that was ever likely to sustain a feature film. To give Anderson his due, this might be as good a film as anyone could make of the idea, barring the obvious onwards match of CGI capability. Now, that's not to say that it's actually a good film, mind you. I can happily say that it's an enjoyable film as a side project to two franchises that I'm very fond of, but I must recognise that it's living off goodwill that it did not accrue by itself. Its lack of pretension when compared to the more recent Aliens film does make them seem like a brush of fresh, or at least comfortingly stale, air. Perhaps it's time to reevaluate this if you hated it on your first view like I did, uh, but I'd hesitate to give it more than a highly <laughs> caveated recommendation. Yeah, I am the same. I watched this the one and only time before then um, with Craig, actually, probably around about when it came out, pushing 15 years now, frighteningly. And but yes, it is, this is terrible. And it put <laughs> me off of ever seeing the second Alien vs. Predator film until last week. Well, no, in fact, a couple of days ago, but it's, um, I think I mentioned it in our Alien podcast, just that this is, it's just kind of a conventionally bad film, mm. where it's not sort of spectacularly reaching too far and failing completely high concept, spectacularly, especially bad, like Prometheus was. <laughs> yeah, and I'm surprised on rewatching it that I didn't hate it. It's like, yes, it's by no means is it a good film, but when I was rewatching it, I'm like, it's not terrible. and. While it's still a Paul W.S. Anderson film and has all of the traits of a Paul W.S. Anderson film, it's definitely not the worst of his I've seen. Um, no. And it's, it's no Death Race, which is clearly his crowning achievement. <laughs> a real miracle that film was. But um, it's, yeah, it's kind of schlocky, as you say. It's a bit cheesy. It's still quite entertaining, though. And yes, it's, 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 a, it's not one of those films that's so bad you can really get your teeth into or anything in, in that sort of way. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I um, mean, maybe the worst you could say about it is meh. But actually, yes, it's a past one, a film that you almost like game show like. Um, you did mention things like the Crystal Maze, Scott. You almost like game show like reconfiguring of the pyramid and stuff, making it seem like it's some sort of like entertainment zone for the predators. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's quite a good idea, actually. I quite like that. And it really reminds me of something else that I think should be really obvious, but I can't bring to mind right now. Cube, maybe? It's got the whole sort of um, reconfiguring sliding things, but... No, I don't think it's Cube, but Cube's actually, yeah, there, there's definitely something to, to it, of the of the Cube to it. You're right, that's um, that's not a bad analogy. It's not what I'm thinking of, but that's not bad. But, I mean, that's quite inventive, and it's quite interesting. And best not to think too much about the, the history stuff that they throw in there, because... <laughs> yes. Because as soon as you have one thought, like I did, it's like, yeah, but the Aztecs lived like a thousand years after these other people you mentioned, and two thousand years after these. It doesn't. Have you read a book? <laughs> like, no, just don't don't think about it, right? Just accept it. Cause it's it's not really worthy of putting that sort of thought into. No, it's about space aliens. Yeah. So, um, so that's quite interesting. The fact that, and then there is some thought applied, which is unfortunately spectacularly jettisoned right at the end of the film and leading into the second one. I may we'll get to that in a moment. But you know the idea that. They knew that there was this possibility that if the aliens sometimes would win, because compared to Predator and Predator 2, then yes, the aliens are a worthy foe for them to fight because they're genuinely dangerous, yeah. um, as opposed to some humans which are, you know, feeble and weak and rubbish, apart from the occasional person like Danny Glover or Arnie. So that idea of it basically being their playground, that's kind of interesting, actually. And the only thing that doesn't really work for me there is just that the whole thing shot on sound stages and it has that look of something shot on sound stages yeah. and it 
it's not so much the taste of mountains means I can never get properly into it. Mm. Um, I mean, I'd, I'm not sure how else you would do that, right? It's because there don't tend to be reconfigurable pyramids lying about the <laughs> earth that you can go and do a location shoot on, you know? But it's yeah. it does, it stops me getting quite so invested in because it has that very particular look. And if it was a TV program, I mean, it's got better production value than a TV program, but it has that sort of same feel of those sets that you'd expect to see on TV more than in a film. And that's maybe I'm just being unfair to, to criticize it for that. I just, uh, I'm aware of that. And it, it stops yeah, that's why it. Chris Nolan passed on this, wasn't it? He couldn't get to build a reconfigurable <laughs> Mayan pyramid entirely. You just know he'd have done effects. it too, actually. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it, it's by no means good, but it's actually reasonably entertaining. I, I'm genuinely surprised to find that I, I was considerably less bored by this than I was by Predator 2, which is, gave us a great shock to me. Um, hmm. It's kind of easy. But it's entertaining. It has because you know the like there are the, all the comic books and novelizations and the video games and stuff, and they all explore like the culture of these aliens, which are never even named in the films. Yeah, uh, I believe they're called the Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah, that's, that's the Yu-Gi-Oh. Beyblades. That's the Beyblades. Yeah, <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh, Yuhu, something like that. Uh, that's the strawberry milk. I think you're thinking of Yazoo <laughs> and the plastic population. I think the only way is up. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, so there's actually, there's very little of the, like while the, the the extended universe is full of that stuff, only the films count and only what's in the films count, at least for me and certainly in terms of talking about the films and none of that's... <laughs> yes, apart from these two films, when you go to the next one, but... <laughs> so there's like hints of actually like a wee bit of the culture there and that's kind of interesting. It's, um, like why are they doing this hunting? Because uh, it's hinted at in the first two films, like, ah, it's the... Because they're juveniles and they're kind of earning their stripes sort of thing and then they, they get the mm. weapons as a reward. Okay, um, there's actually more thought applied to this film than you might have otherwise imagined. Yeah. Um, so there are interesting ideas in it. I mean, the action is done reasonably competently, I guess. It's just that it's kind of a schlock film and I wouldn't say to anybody to particularly watch it, but for completion's sake, you're not going to hate this one, I suspect. Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll get on to it a bit later on when we talk about the Twitter feedback, but there's some talk of um, judging films like this as part of the genre that they're in, just judging them as genre films. Now, I don't really agree with that when, no. when we're applying that more generally to uh, the actual franchises like Alien and Predator because so many of them just stand out as being good films yeah. regardless yes. of whether you're talking about them in, in, a, in a genre or not. However, in this one that probably would need that caveat. <laughs> it is a good genre film. If you like a kind of schlocky sci-fi monster film, then I think this will fit the bill reasonably well. But it's it's hard to apply it outside of that audience. Um, you really need to be quite invested in the franchise. There's no point watching this if you haven't like seen and enjoyed at least, what, eight other films, like most of the <laughs> franchise and the Redditor films as well. So it does need that caveat to it. It's certainly not one to come to fresh. But same experience as you, I was pleasantly surprised when revisiting this and found it to be quite a bit better than I was fearing. Um, it's never something that's going to go into in a kind of heavy rotation. I'm never going to watch this in the same way that I've watched Predator 2. <laughs> I still prefer that for my sins, but uh, yeah, it's it's much better than I feared that it might be. Yeah, um, that was it was a, a pleasant surprise to find out that it was not as bad as I thought. And your comments about genre almost exactly what I've written for myself that I'll you know, be reading out in a few moments. But <laughs> the only thing about this film is you really don't want to think too much about it. Like I said, you know, the dates and things not making sense. Yeah, just like yeah. it's this sort of silly level of stuff you'd get in like a Dan Brown novel or something. It's that kind of level. Um, yeah don't think about it unfortunately though there is one bit that i can't stop thinking about and it does it is a problem because if you think about it, it makes this the end of this film and the whole of the next film make no sense in that they went to the trouble in alien versus predator of saying that 
the alien or the predators would destruct a, a massive bomb if it looked like the aliens had won because they knew they were too dangerous to be allowed to live. Mm. So basically, uh, a big reset button, basically. So the fact that the alien or the predators know how dangerous these creatures are, know them very well because the suggestion is that they have been using them as sport for thousands of years at the very least. Yeah. And that they would therefore be very, very aware of their capabilities. Then somehow they managed to let a predator back on their spaceship that was impregnated with an alien and didn't notice. Yeah. That, that, that's a big of a, a logic failure there, um, which <laughs> is the whole thing that allows the next film to exist, but it doesn't really make sense. So, best to think about it. Yes. Speaking of things, it's best not to think about Alien vs. Predator 2. Oh, must I? Must I? Oh, well. <laughs> now, picking up from the ending of Alien vs. Predator, Aliens vs. Predator, Requiem sees a chest burster explode from the body of the predator named Scar, apparently. Again, something else that's not actually in the film that killed the alien queen. This xenomorph then kills the rest of the predator crew aboard the spaceship, and in the fighting, one of the predator's weapons damages the hull, and the ship crash lands outside a town in Colorado in the United States. As the creature and a handful of facehuggers escape the downed ship, a distress call is sent to Predator HQ, and a predator dispatched to perform cleanup duties. The hunter then begins to track the xenomorphs causing mayhem in the town with the bewildered townsfolk caught in the middle. With Aliens vs Predator Requiem, directors Greg and Colin Strausser, Strauss, Strausser? Mm. If it's the original German, it would be Strausser, but they're from the United States, so I imagine Strauss. Or, or the brothers Strauss, as they are uh, yes, infuriatingly the, titled. Yes, which is annoying, <laughs> but um, I always like to make an effort to pronounce people's names right as a courtesy, even if they don't deserve it on the strength of this film. But uh, <laughs> yes, so directors Greg and Colin Strausser took the franchise to some very dark places. Oh, not thematically. That might have been interesting. No, actually dark places, as in, <laughs> what the hell is going on? I can't see a bloody thing. <laughs> because apparently their $40 million budget didn't stretch to more lighting. It is a phenomenally murky film. And it's not unreasonable to make your horror action film about vicious space beasties dark and brooding, but it's generally a good idea to let your audience actually see them from time to time instead of leaving them squinting at the screen, wondering which vague silhouette is which and who is doing what to whom. <laughs> was that the court case, was it? <laughs> <laughs> it is a pity, because there are some sequences, notably one where the Predator is using its equipment in the sewers to detect the xenomorphs, that could be pretty entertaining and allow us to appreciate the fact that the brothers Strausser tried to use practical effects as much as possible and use CGI only for augmentation. If only you could see anything. <laughs> but that... And other things like it, the, you know, the hauling dialogue, the lack of character motivation, etc., aren't really the main issues. For me, the big problem with Requiem is that it doesn't seem to know what it is, or at the very least, it doesn't seem to know where it came from, and it just can't make up its mind. It begins in a way that fits well enough with both Predator and Alien, with the mysterious and inexplicable deaths causing alarm amongst the people of the town. Opinion is split on the Pred-Alien, a design based on a painting by illustrator Dave Dorman, but it is a fearsome beastie, at least when there's enough illumination to see the damn thing, and I have a real bugbear about that, I can tell. And somewhat more imposing than the standard xenomorph, and it at least mixes things up a little from the creature design seen in the preceding films, even if it is clearly of the same cloth. The Predalian swift dispatching of the remaining predators establishes it as a force to be reckoned with, and it could seem that we're in for an entertaining ride as the Predator reinforcement, though inexplicably just the one of them, attempts to kill it. 
with the unfortunate humans caught in the middle. Sadly, that isn't the case as it soon becomes apparent that Requiem is a generic, C-grade horror film with an Aliens vs Predator skin thrown over the top. <laughs> a skin that seems to have been created by someone who hasn't seen any of the other films. <laughs> the subplots involving the cardboard cutout teens from any horror film ever, naturally played by actors 10 years older than their characters, are beyond tedious and pretty much no one in the film feels like a real and certainly not a relatable person. There is no group dynamic, just a bunch of paper-thin soon-to-be victims who happen to be in the same location. Locations which include, in a most generic and cliché thing ever attempt, a body of water with two young and pretty people about to get jiggy. Many people argue, and this is back to the point you mentioned earlier, Scott, many people argue that genre films should be judged differently from other films, but I almost entirely disagree. Uh, though I do make allowances for certain genre conventions, and while you might reasonably not expect dialogue to be on a par with an award-winning drama, regardless of genre, this film still has to be entertaining and good, and the characters' motivations have to make sense, and, crucially, it must also at least follow its or its universe's own internal logic, and Aliens vs Predator Requiem fails on all of these counts. The Predator, identified somewhere as Wolf, but sadly not the TV gladiator. Wouldn't have that been a great thing. <laughs> I'd be even better than John claude Van Damme. <laughs> He's already got the hair for it. Yeah. <laughs> the Predator identifies somewhere as Wolf is sent to deal with the Predalien and begins by destroying the ship and attempting to use chemicals to dispose of evidence of the creature's existence. But by about page 10 of the script, the screenwriter, Shane Salerno, seems to have forgotten this and Wolf stops his mission to kill random humans even if they are not the worthy trophies that the preceding films established would be the only thing of value to this species. Humans become host to aliens after being impregnated by facehuggers, something which happens very swiftly, though this life cycle has been shaky and hugely inconsistent in everything post-alien, with the incubation time largely being whatever the plot needs it to be, <laughs> so it isn't a problem specific to this film, and that increases the members of the Predalien's gang. And then despite the facehuggers being used up and there being no queen, and this is why I say that it feels like the film was written by someone not completely familiar with the other films and the creature's mythos, even though the directors are apparently fanboys, suddenly humans are being used to create xenomorphs at a geometric rate. Requiem really doesn't know what it is, because by the end, and the inevitable military-industrial double-cross, it has become more or less a zombie film, where it seems like humans have become aliens just by contact. It's the Nightmare of Friday the 13th of the Dead with Aliens and Predators. It is, in a word, awful. Well, I've got a confession to make. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no actually, like, no. This, this, this is hot garbage. Yes, I, <laughs> I would have had to have questioned their friendship, Scott, <laughs> if you had actually had some sort of warmth regarding this deeming turd of a film. <laughs> yeah. Suppose I see the, the overarching idea. I mean, this is always the fear, isn't it? This is what Ripley's been trying to stop for, you know, four films. It was like, what if these get back to Earth, they'll wipe out everything. And, you know, this is this is a result that could have been interesting to watch. But, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I think I've only seen from the Brothers Strauss this and Skyline, which was also terrible. I never saw Skyline, so I've just seen this and it's enough so, to make me avoid anything they've done again. Yes, probably the best decision. Um, I think they've gone off back into the, the VFX world where they've uh, they've got their chops. Yeah, and, they've uh, clearly got some ability in that it. regard, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, this this film is bad. It just feels generic. It doesn't feel like there's anything 
particularly alien or predator in it at all really no i said it really i want to repeat this point because it's how it feels it is a really crappy horror film with some predators in it yeah it's everything like the scenes like the woman in the so even the way the shots are composed too the there's the the swimming pool thing that i mentioned which is ridiculous because you know mm. all um, that's moralizing you get in horror films and all young people next to body of water are obviously going to be attacked yeah. <laughs> the woman in the diner and she sees the guy attacked and over the cooking and she's on the floor in the kitchen and all of those shots all the way they're composed everything about it is the low-grade horror film with aliens and predators <laughs> in it yeah dan i don't really have anything more to add over what you've said to be honest it's just in no way shape or form good fairly sure i hadn't seen this until the other night no, and, I, it was uh, the yes, first I, time for me too definitely very much wish that i hadn't <laughs> it's the humans in aliens vs predator were by no means the high point of that but they were at least somewhat relatable and they felt like they had a purpose well, it seemed like they um, were humans to some degree yeah and they had some character to them and they all had some motivation they all had some little touches that made them feel like they were you know the actual possible human beings mm-hmm. whereas this one is you know the most generic central casting uh, yeah, none of people the people you could imagine isn't it yeah they don't have any reasonable motivations none of the lines that they say are either good or make any sense in most of the places like unless somehow they had read the script and knew what was coming in front of them yeah i mean i'm not so bothered about the motivations like they don't need motivations because this is a purely reaction yeah so thing, the motivations right? is, don't die is, yeah this is this is just pure escape but okay, the problem so, with it is yeah. all the bits before they know they're in danger are just exceptionally boring and maybe super generic maybe motivation's the wrong word then maybe i should have used decision the decisions mm. they make make no sense rather than motivation because yeah. the motivation yes is don't be dead yes <laughs> but the decisions they make don't have any um just don't make sense to me yeah and there's no level in which i can imagine recommending this i mean even if you're a huge alien predator, predator fan even if you liked the first film more than we did there's still no reason to watch this it's just bad on every level and like yeah, I, I agree. It does feel like very much like a film that tells you that your television's gamma's on the wrong setting or something, <laughs> isn't it? It's un- uncommonly dark. It's weird that they've done that because, I mean, I, I suppose that's the your kind of default horror um, setting would be at night. The things are scarier when you can't see things and all that stuff. But it just makes for a very disappointing and hard to watch film. I find my attention straying all the time mm-hmm. during this film. It's very difficult to pay any real attention to it. So, yeah, just not good. Just not good at all. And it felt too, and again, it's too, I'm harping on at a point, but about like it's somebody written by somebody who didn't understand what happened in the films before, hadn't seen it, because it's been quite well established that to get more aliens, you need eggs, which are laid by mm. a queen. But either they forgot that or didn't care, but at some point in the middle of the film, they said, oh, we need to create more things, so we'll just somehow eggs can be put from the pred-alien down somebody's throat. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that's you think you've created a new thing or you wrote yourself into a corner there or something, but it, it's, it's so bad. That's not how the android that was impersonating your fellow of Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> designed them. <Come> on. <laughs> Pay attention to your lore. Yes, um, there is pretty much nothing of merit in this film at all. It is not good. Surprisingly, though, didn't kill the franchise, which is quite a thing because really it ought to have done. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> So it, it did continue with a particularly odd choice of action hero, but did did that work? So perhaps maybe you could tell us a bit about Predators, Scott. Yeah, so 2010's Predators, which sensibly just ignores everything that happened in Aliens vs. Predator films. Which I could. Yes. 
Him, what do you do speak of? Adrian Brody, of all people. His character Royce wakes up in the middle of a free fall, which must rank pretty low down on the list of preferred ways to awake. Uh, he plummets through the jungle floor, saved, sort of, by a strangely designed parachute, and finds that he's not the only one suffering that fate. In short order, he meets up with Mexican drug cartel enforcer Chichilo, Danny Trejo, Russian Special Forces soldier Nikolai, Oleg Taktarov, uh, Israeli Defence Forces sniper Isabel, Alice Braga, Revolutionary United Front Officer Bombasa, Marshala Ali, and death row inmate Stans Walton Goggins, and Yakuza enforcer Hanzo, Louis Ozawa Changchen, and seemingly out of place, a doctor, Edwin, played by Topher Grace. So this motley crew are understandably distrustful of each other to begin with, but they commendably realise that the enemy is the force that has dropped them wherever they are, and appears to be setting up to hunt down. As you'll expect, given the theme of this podcast, said hunting is being done by a group of predators, although, as it's explained to us later, it's a different clan than the classic predators of yore. These new super predators, as we're apparently to refer to them, have a few mildly different tricks in the repertoire, and look like a minor refinement to the original design, but I've got to be honest, with masks on, I'd struggle to tell any of them apart from each other, were it not for the different choice of trophy integrated into their armour, and even then, in the dark, one's not that much different to the others. To an extent, you can apply the same plot recap for this as with the other Predator films, but there is a twist to this. Once Royce and company figure out that they're not on Earth, having all been abducted and taken to what's effectively a game reserve come safari ground, uh, realising that the only hope of escape is to go after the predators rather than play by their rules. This might not go exactly to plan, but it's good to see that the label attached to these folks as being some of Earth's deadliest warriors isn't entirely unearned. In fact, that's something I've always appreciated about the mainline predator films. The prey, if you will, never just started doing stupid things to move the plot forward, which is something pretty endemic in similarly plotted slasher movies in particular. In these films, the idiot ball finds little purchase, and even the people we're not meant to be particularly sympathetic to, like Gary Boosie's tinfoil team, aren't being foolish, which helps sell the whole premise of the film. As for Predators, I recall this coming out to middling reviews, and Drew's review for the old website was more positive than most, I think, but still tending towards meh, so I was a little surprised to find myself half an hour into this, and really, really enjoying it. A lot of that comes down to Adrian Brody, who, despite bulking up a bit, is still not the first name that would spring to mind as an action star, yet, somehow, he's entirely convincing, even with a slightly daft gruff accent. The gruff accent is the one thing that did stick out for me this time, and I don't, I didn't really remember that. I thought he was believable as the action hero, but like, oh, he talks like this all the time. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I thought you're trying to be Christian Bale and Batman or something. It's it's not working for you, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't mind it this time through, and it turns out that just having good actors in the films tends to improve them. Who would have thunk it? Yeah, it's um, it's a strange um, thing, isn't it? Like you have somebody like Adrian Brody, and then support from Lawrence Fishburne and that sort of thing instead, and you don't just have no name horror film characters like you do in the previous film, and suddenly things get better. Yeah. <laughs> and the action is as well handled as any of the other films, arguably better. And the onward march of effects technology makes the Predator's cloaking and associated gizmos look better than ever. That said, it's also made by filmmakers that know sometimes there's just no substitute for throwing stunt workers down a steep hill. <laughs> so there's a very effective mix of practical and computer effects work that makes for some very enjoyable scenes. The characterisation perhaps fares a little worse with many of the cast just not getting enough lines to make much of an impact. It also seems a bit of a waste of Larry Fishburne, who isn't with us for long despite making a solid impression, even saddled with carrying the one section of the film where it drags somewhat. Despite this, and some, let's politely say, functional dialogue, the cast makes the most of what they're given, and the central double act of uh, Brody and Braga hold up quite well throughout the piece. 
Now, it's by no means a perfect film. As mentioned, the attempt at speciating predators didn't work all that well for me, and there's uh, not even a twist towards the end that's entirely infuriating that I don't want to get too deep into because it's a bit spoilery, except perhaps it's the one example of that idiot ball returning in full force, even if there are extenuating, hunted by aliens reasons to excuse it. Yet, despite these niggles, I found this hugely enjoyable. It's very much the same sort of move as between Alien and Aliens, brasher, bigger, more action-focused, which some people took exception to, but is largely why I like this film. With the caveat of having no clue how this will stand up to repeat viewing, at the moment I'd have to say I enjoyed this almost as much as the original. Solidly recommended. Having viewed it now more than once, it's actually improves on a repeat viewing well, for me. Um, oh, good. Because I was good. quite... I, mean, I I don't think it compares to the original at all. I, I was very harsh um, because it's got a lot of similarities, I think, and not just because of the jungle setting, but um, I was actually quite surprised to find that my review for Predators back when we were doing the one-liner was quite so negative, or at least it wasn't as positive as my memories of the film were. Um, right. <laughs> even they said it was, like, it was more positive than a lot of reviews at the time um yeah. because actually i had i went back and it's like and i read that and like and i gave it two stars out of five and really i remember it uh, much fonder <laughs> memories of it than that would suggest that i found at the time and so when i went back to watch it again a couple of weeks ago that i actually i enjoyed it more the second time or at least i enjoyed it as much as i remember that i'd enjoyed it but apparently didn't <laughs> and yeah i mean Adrian Brody's acts, uh, sort of gruff voice is a bit silly. But otherwise, yeah, reasonably entertaining. I would have liked to see more of Lawrence Fishburne. He's one of those guys mm, who's got yeah. like a, a real good presence in a film. Um, it just gives a wee bit... Of, I don't think he's quite grand enough an actor to say gravitas, but there's certainly there, there's substance to something with Lawrence Fishburne in it. Um, it tends to elevate it a little, which is nice. And the twist of... I assume you're talking about the main character twist sort of explains the character towards the end it's the the medic yeah character that's what i'm talking about where they, they yeah where they explicitly stay say what's going to happen at the end at the start and then forget about it for so long that i figured they just abandoned <laughs> it and then pull it back out of nowhere for no good reason uh, yeah. um yeah annoying. that's annoying and just because that character stood out through the film so much yeah it never fitted in yeah they talked about that at the start it was like it doesn't fit so like i don't know um, it didn't really seem to have any particular point, that character, though. No, that didn't. That plot line, out, it didn't go anywhere interesting and didn't do anything interesting on its way there. But yes, it's it's very much more in the tone of uh, the 1987 film. And of the five Predator films, it's comfortably the second best um, by a yeah. wide, wide margin. And it, cause it, seems, it seems to like understand the point of the original film much more. And the yeah. the way that that species was set up, so basically, they um, instead of going hunting somewhere else, they're creating their own game reserve, and then but they're specifically selecting people who would be a worthy adversary who might be able to challenge them. That that really yeah. like actually seems to understand what the setup for the species was to begin with. Yeah, and they're like they're going to end up having an enjoyable contest against somebody who's able to get out of their traps and fight their dogs and and have the wits to survive. It just it suffers a little bit from lack of focus because the whole subplot between the, the predator and the very slightly bigger predator, but honestly I couldn't tell which one was which predator, um, <laughs> is is completely redundant and adds nothing to the film at all other than it gives them somebody who would help them fly a spaceship. That really goes nowhere. Uh, I don't, like you, you could drop that spotlight entirely in the film and you'd barely notice it, I think. Um, yeah. The only other thing that bothered me though is, I don't remember it 
being a problem in Predator, but it happened in at least one of the Aliens versus Predator films, I think, and it happens in this. Why, why when they go into water, does their camouflage spark? Are you telling me they're this advanced yeah. that they can't make it waterproof? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know that's such a, a vanishingly minor thing, but that really bothered me. It was just, I just that was a, like stuck out like a sore thumb. Like why, why they've basically got magic invisibility, but you just can't get it wet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, otherwise, yeah. It's a it's a solidly entertaining action film that actually, unlike most of the rest of it, fits in with the original film. And if the Predator, which I rather suspect is going at the very best, be a soft reboot. Of the original, but in case it's not, in case it's a continuation. Um, if it's anything like this, and that's promising. I mean, there's something to build on here. Yeah, I feel sure I've talked myself out of whatever point I wanted to make, so I've got nothing more to add. But, uh, <laughs> comfortably, the second best entry in the series. Yeah, directed by Nimrod Antal, who'd never heard of before. Yeah. Um, but I suspect a lot of it was handheld by um, Robert Rodriguez, because he seems to be quite heavily involved with the. Uh, the production of it, he's, he's listed as a producer, but I think he's been uh, done uh, doing quite a bit more because there's a few touches there that look a bit Rodriguez-ish, yeah, you know? and there's some really effectively shot in stage scenes, like the uh, particularly that little kind of homage to samurai films where the the accuser boy and one of the predators start having the yeah, sword fight, yeah. which is come, which arguably comes out of nowhere, but I thought was absolutely fantastic. I love that little touch. Uh, lots of nice little scenes of the rustling, rustling high grass. Yeah, and stuff. that was lovely. Very samurai because uh, the wide shot of them um, when they were these the holding this katana up above his head, that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah you know, I'd yeah. actually forgotten, because I didn't pay much attention to the crew this time around. I was, I have this thing where it's mm. like, every film I watch, I feel like, right, I'm going to focus clearly on the opening credits to see the writer, <laughs> photographer, and producer, that sort of thing. And I get to the end of every film I watch and realise I forgot to do it. <laughs> it's the weirdest <laughs> thing. It's got some sort of mental block or something that means I, I just cannot focus on that. But the film I watch, I'm like, not like I'm not paying attention to the film. It's like I completely yeah. switch off every every single thing I watch. Generally, everything I watch, I'm, like, I'm going to pay close attention to, sort of see if I recognise the screenwriter or something. So rather than looking up an IMDb later, and I forget mm. every time. <laughs> but yes, I do remember at the time of its original release that Robert Rodriguez was really heavily involved with it. I'd forgotten about it, but now you mention it, it's kind of obvious. I haven't actually bothered to <laughs> preparation for this. I didn't bother to look up any of the information about it on IMDb. But yes, it's obvious. I think maybe he had a a fairly heavy hand in it, which is good because Robert Rodriguez is, you know, good. Um, yes. <laughs> not like compared to, you know, the brother Strausser or something. But <laughs> And I've talked, if I had, again, if I had the point, I've gone way past it again. It's the only one that of the series that I would have any interest in watching again, apart from the first. Yes, um, I, I look forward to revisiting this at some points down the line. I don't have anything much more to say about it other than I heartily enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I would recommend it to anyone who gave it a pass on based on the reviews that it was getting at the time. Um, a lot like, as we discussed a bit earlier, about the reviews of Predator in the first instance, which is sitting at a Metacritic score of, what was 36, it, 31 yeah. or something? 36. Ludicrous. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so this, I think, has similarly been hard done by on its initial release. And I think it deserved it much better than it got. It deserved to be seen by a lot more people. So yes, I would heartily recommend that to anyone with an interest in this predator malarkey. So I guess we want to the Twitters? Yes. Yes, I think we should. But I think the most important points to get out first are the ones from Tengushi, who says, Voodoo magic, man! You can't see the eyes of the demon until him come calling. This is dread, man. Not Judge Dredd, obviously, that's a different franchise. Um, yes. Judge Dredd versus Predator. <laughs> I'm surprised that's not been done, actually. It's only a matter of time. I, I'm sure there's a, there must be 
Oh, there must be fan fiction at the very least, right? I'm sure I've read a Judge Dredd versus Aliens, so it would be surprising if there wasn't a Judge Dredd versus Aliens versus Predator at some point as well. I need to find out. (laughs) Hold on. Predator versus Judge Dredd versus Aliens. Brilliant! (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That might be the one I've read, actually. I can't quite remember. um, There's a Predator versus Judge Dredd, and there's a Predator versus Judge Dredd versus Aliens. Right. (laughs) Oh, get okay. Fisher Head's awesome. Yeah, I don't think he actually went on to make any points about the film. Just other than obviously, Predator Two is the best film. Obviously, um, it's not. And, I assume that's ironic. A terrible but... racist. No, it's the best. So yeah, Matt Toller at M Toller um, with his completely self-deprecating title, low quality tweets. I would mm-hmm. like to say that yes, you live up to it, Matt. <laughs> well, only joking. Um, just rewatch Predator Two. It's fun, good, but not great. More Robocop-esque near-future cynicism than I remembered, um, but Predator 1's a hard act to follow. I think cynicism is really underplaying <laughs> what it's showing yes, it's, Los Angeles um, at this point. It's completely bleak pessimism. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's still time for a canon... <laughs> oh, let's hope not. There's still time for a canon Adam Baldwin-led Predator 3. Unfortunately, Morton Downey Jr. is dead. Uh, let's, be hope- let's be glad about the second one. <laughs> um, I suppose there's still time for Adam Baldwin to be added to The Predator because it's still currently filming and according to IMDb, not yeah. fully cast yet. So maybe you'll be in luck, Matt. <laughs> Predator 1, though, I've seen this movie probably 25 times and there are still Arnold lines I cannot decipher. Get Kano and the Hwak. Which um, <laughs> I looked... I went as far as reading through the screenplay of the film a couple of days ago when I saw Matt's tweet, trying to work out what line that was meant to be. And I <laughs> I have no idea, Matt. So it's either something I've heard perfectly well and you don't, but I can't help you, I'm afraid. Clearly, it's get conops on the hook. Now, what conops <laughs> is is an entirely different question, but it's quite clear what he's trying to get, get in touch with there. He's trying to phone someone. <laughs> You just need to speak more Arnie, like I do. Talking of speaking more Arnie, and before I finish Matt's tweets to us, um, that's the you know like the legendary line from Predators get to the chopper. Tweed, get to the chopper. That's the thing. When I watched, uh, maybe just because uh, it's the first time I've watched it on Blu-ray and the sound quality is I don't think so. But I was struck when I watched Predator again well, last week that the R is really clearly pronounced. So he doesn't say get to the chopper. He says get to the chopper. <laughs> I can hear the R really clearly. So where did that come from? <laughs> well, you've missed the essential point of all impersonations is which is not, of course not, be funny <laughs> rather than accurate. Which is why they should be doing it in a Baku Kai voice. Get to the chopper. There's no killing what can't be killed. <laughs> uh, that line, especially for our friends at the Magic Lantern podcast. Thank us <laughs> later. And then he says, finishes saying, uh, too tired to rewatch Predators tonight, but he remembers it being decent enough in concept but wasn't blown away by it better than expected. Uh, thanks for that, Matt. Do do magic, man. <laughs> Okay, a few from Stephen Nelson uh, at Scott's Actor on Twitter, who, talking between this and their last Aliens podcast, wishes that we'd spent a bit more time talking about the visual and creature, uh, visual creature effects of the film and less on the plots, which is what he's more interested in. Missed opportunity to talk about the actual aliens and their design evolution. At least in part of that, uh, we can address by the podcast already being near enough two hours long, and some bits just couldn't make it. If we had to go any longer, I think we would have all died. But also, I'm um, speaking for myself. I'm just not the right person to ask about that kind of thing. I don't have any in-depth knowledge about any of this stuff, and I'm by no means a genre expert. So that's largely why I'm just approaching it from a more generalist uh, viewpoint. Pretty sure Craig and Drew will say the same about that. Uh, I tell you, I would in response to that I would say that I do watch these films for the plot and the rationale or at least it's important to me that they make sense 
and the creatures mm. are a part of that but I, I'm not watching something just because I like the creatures it's got to be doing something interesting or in a, a logical way at least within the logic of the the creatures universe uh, so kind of pulling that theme through th- for the predators one he said he didn't hear the name Stan Winston in the Aliens podcast VFX Oscar anyone Jim Cameron gave me the idea for the predators mandibles so I think we did cover that one um, possibly due to your tweet thanks very much for that and Aliens was when Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis began their collaboration and led to them forming the company Amalgamated Dynamics one thing I've skipped over there is can you please discuss the visual effects creature design weapons and Yatja mythology they're quite important components to these films no. <laughs> uh, two points. But firstly, I refer, refer you back to the original answer. I just don't know enough about them to really give you any kind of information on them. I'm, we're not really that kind of podcast, I'm afraid. But I would also argue they're not really all that important to the films. Uh, they may well be to the extended universe stuff. And if you're interested in that, it's obviously great that you can go and dive into all the uh, the books and comics and all that stuff. But um, I don't really think we need to go into them all that much to just explain why the films are so good, or otherwise, as Drew may say. But certainly I enjoyed most of these very much without really knowing anything about them, including uh, the name of the (laughs) Predators, the whole Yatcha thing. I did not know that. I had to look that up when you saw that in the tweet and went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, It does make sense. I've heard that before, but I don't care. I understand that obviously that's something that Stephen and other people must be interested in, and you get it in the extended universe and things, but... It's not mentioned in films. You don't hear the name and, and nobody ever explores them in the films. So mm. I think talking about just the films, it's not really appropriate to talk about them, which is part of why we're not covering it. Lack of knowledge, maybe lack of interest, certainly my part. I, would, yeah, so I know I mentioned earlier, I would like to see some more of the culture, like hints of it, just mysterious and different and that's interesting, but I'm really going to dive into and the, the weapons and things because yes, maybe in the extended universe, people explore those. They're barely mentioned in the films. Like they've got the shooty thing on their shoulder and they've got their big spiky stings and their very sharp frisbees but uh... I mean I understand the central point because it's the same sort of thing like when I was into Star Wars and I read a lot of the Star Wars Mm -hmm. books and all that thing it did enhance my enjoyment of the film when I go back and watch it knowing all this external stuff to it and I know a lot about Judge Dredd because I like Judge Mm -hmm. Dredd a lot and so when I go and watch both the Judge Dredd films that makes me more excited and makes me happier to watch it but um, much as I like the films, I've never had the same inclination to go into the you know, deep dive into any of the um, extended universe aliens or Predator or aliens versus yeah. Predator stuff. So, um, yeah, as I say, we're not, sorry, we can't provide that level of depth. That's just not our bag, maybe. Yeah, I understand that. And also, again, just, I would say that even if I've read all the Star Wars extended universe stuff too, though, but if we were talking about Star Wars, the chances are really going in depth on that on here, pretty much no, because if it's not in the film, then I don't really think, unless it's, I mean, like for, Real world stuff that influences a film, yes, I think it's important. Uh, and maybe if it, something from an extended universe was a really significant reason for something being in a film, then it may be worth talking about. But just in general, I just don't think it, it's appropriate to talk about it if it's not actually in the film. That's how I feel about it anyway. I mean, because there, yeah, there are some things where I've been interested in, like the extended universe stuff, but those things aren't in the films. At least, like the names and the descriptions and the histories and things aren't in the films. I don't want to talk about them here. Well, it's not knowing about them yeah. um, is my part of yeah. it, of course. I'll accept the points on the uh, creature design, evolution, all that stuff. Um, I think we've done a little better effort of trying to cover that in this podcast, but um, yeah, uh, we'll take that on board. Okay. Um, do the Films and Swearing podcast at FAS Podcast on Twitter said, Predators holds up slightly. Lawrence Fishburne as the nut hiding in the woods was amusing and is a step up from AVP too. But to be honest, what isn't? <laughs> what isn't? Yes. <laughs> Uh, poor AVB2. It's such a terrible <laughs> film. And, and we treat it accordingly. 
And we'll round off today's uh, social media feedback with uh, at Blake Wrights on the I'm the Host podcast, Perpetual Dumb Machine on the Twitters. Predator was fun for its era. Who was a little disjointed, I think. Fairly sure I've seen Predators, but it left no impression whatsoever. <sighs> I have so many issues with that. <laughs> Perhaps this podcast will give you some impetus to go and revisit that, because, yes, it does to me, and it hands up quite well, and Scott's first impression of it was pretty favourable, actually, so it might be worth you revisiting Predators. Probably more so than AVP too. <laughs> <laughs> he goes on to say, also was Aliens vs Predator a precursor to Freddy vs Jason, having the skull in the trophy room and Predator equals to Freddy's claw in Jason Goes to Hell. It's certainly got the same sort of dream monster mash cross-up, so I suppose there is that to it. I have to go back and watch Freddy vs Jason at some point, because I hugely yes. enjoyed that as well. It's just such a stupid bit of slock action. I it's weird it. you mentioned that, because <laughs> I was thinking about it just a couple of days ago, entirely independently. That <laughs> Freddy vs. Jason was actually really kind of fun, and I, I don't like those films generally. Um, Freddy vs. Jason was fun, but then I kind of got sidetracked and I forgot about Freddy vs. Jason. I was trying to remember desperately <laughs> which one's the one that Jason's in space because that was really stupid. I think that's Jason X, which is which is my probably one of my favorite movie scenes ever when he just picks the up that sleeping girl bag. Yes, sleeping that, and just batters just against the tree that. for like 10 minutes. That bit was ridiculous but entertained me greatly, but the, the rest of the film was just really stupid. <laughs> I think that's it for our feedback, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so thank you very much for taking the time to um, get in contact with the show, which we look forward to doing all the time. And if you want to, you can contact us on Twitter at twitter.com slash fudsandfilm, by email, podcast at fudsandfilm.com on facebook at facebook.com slash fudsandfilm we're making this really easy for you to contact us you know so please do it (laughs) and if you've got the time to leave us a wee review or rating on itunes then we'd really appreciate it we i don't know whether it's consciously or not but we tend not to mention that too often on the podcast but it's been a while so maybe worth doing now if if you can leave us a wee review or something just so that other people might find our podcast would that be great thank you and also give our our egos a buff assuming it's a good review if it's like one star these idiots don't know what we're talking about well we know but we don't really need to see it in writing so you could just leave that out <laughs> yeah that's already integral to our egos nids <laughs> so you don't need to <laughs> reinforce that one otherwise though yes if you've got any feedback on this podcast any others uh, any suggestions you want to make yeah, we're, we're welcome we welcome hearing them uh, we like to hear um, that you know we're not just talking into the void that's the main thing it's like while we enjoy doing these podcasts, it's much more rewarding to know that people actually listen to them and it's not just disappearing to the great internet ether. The ethernet, surely. Sorry. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yes, we will be returning on the 20th of this month with our intermission podcast in which we will no doubt be another tightly curated collection of stuff that we happen to have seen that fitted in before that we recorded that episode very much yeah so yes we'll be back in 10 days until then yeah i can't think of a sign off so bye <laughs> he was scott i was true <laughs> <laughs>